Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. Now, how many people are football fans in the house? Anybody? Any football fans? All right. Okay. So let's go one step further then. How many are college football fans? Any college football Congratulations. A lot of you had a good day yesterday. And so, uh, yes, thank you, sir. Um, so, how about any NFL fans here? Uh, got a couple, just a few NFL fans. Do you know if you're an NFL fan, that this is almost like half time because there's been eight games leading up till today, and then there'll be eight more games. And so we're in the midpoint of the season. You know, one of the marks of a successful football team is their ability to change a game plan at halftime. You know, at halftime, you'll see the uh, coaches will gather and they'll talk about what went wrong. They'll talk about what went right and what we're going to do to uh, really finish the game strong because games are typically won in the second half, or maybe they're lost in the second half. And so what we see is the importance of that ability to regroup. You know, life is a lot like football, that we have seasons and that we have an opportunity to assess what went right, what went wrong, and what are we going to do to finish the season that we're in strong. Over the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about uh, two characters from the Bible that made adjustments at halftime. Now, ironically, both of these characters have the same name. Both of them are named Saul. Now, they lived about a thousand years apart from each other. There's a Saul in the Old Testament, and then there's a Saul in the New Testament. And so, let's first of all start with Saul of the Old Testament. He was, we know him as King Saul, and if you can get a mental image, this may be uh, what he looked like. At least some artists thought that King Saul would look like that. Uh, I don't think he had an Instagram account. But, um, so that's Saul of the Old Testament. He was King Saul. Now, let's just talk about how he got to be king. You see, in those days, prior to Saul taking the throne, Israel did not have a king. In fact, they were led by spiritual leaders called prophets. And so the prophet would go to the Lord and ask uh, God for direction. And then the prophet would uh, share with the people, this is what we need to be doing. This is where we need to be going. And so that's how they received uh, their direction and how uh, they won their battles and so forth. Well, Israel started looking at all their neighbors, the uh, country over here and the nation over here, and recognized that all these folks had kings. And they said, you know what? We want to be like them. We want to be like, we want a king. And so they cried out for a king and God allowed, gave them what they asked for. And so God uh, had Samuel go to anoint Saul as the king. Now everything was going well and he was enjoying his life because the favor of God was on him. He was going into battle and you'll, the, uh, the nation was uh, progressing. He was eradicating idolatry. And he was in witchcraft in Israel, and he is proclaiming the name of the Lord. 
But in 1 Samuel chapter 10 in the Old Testament, King Saul, we see at this point he was at the top of his game, but it was like it was second quarter. It was like that it was the two-minute warning, that the clock was winding down and going into halftime. Everything was going well until Samuel, the prophet, was late for an appointment. Have you ever been late for an appointment? I tell you, when I'm late for an appointment, it just, it, it just makes me uh, tense and I, I'm stressful because I was raised in a house where you just weren't late. We were always early um, when I was growing up. When, uh, here's an example of that. Uh, I remember in the 70s, my dad carrying me, taking me to the uh, University of South Carolina Clemson football game. And so when we arrived at the stadium in Clemson, we got there at 8.45 in the morning for a 12 noon game. Now the problem with that time frame is this. They didn't even open the stadium until 9. So we walked around that stadium for 15 minutes before there was a gate opened. And so he just didn't want to be late. And so that's how we, uh, we lived our life. I remember as a kid, I rode the school bus. And, um, and so I wanted to be there at the school bus on time, but not only on time, I wanted to be first in line. So I would get up uh, and I would go put my books in at 6.30 for a 7.10 school bus because I wanted to be first that's my weird idiosyncrasy. So, you know, what does God do with that? Well, he puts you with somebody that doesn't share your values. <laughs> That's what he does. So, Patty, my wife, Patty. Um, now, she was raised riding the school bus, too. But instead of being first in line, I mean, her family's always late. I mean, always late. The bus would go around the corner and start blowing the horn... And so then they would open up the Anderson door and they would wave them on, or can you give us just five more minutes? And so that's how it worked. And so in 1982, these two worlds came together. And, um, and through, since that time, we have learned that, uh, that compromise must be at the core of every solid relationship. But it's been painful at times to get to that place of compromise. Um, and I had to loosen up on some, and she had to tighten up on others. So it's interesting. But we still hate being late for an appointment. This past Friday, we were late. Okay, here's what was going on. On Friday, I was at a board of directors meeting for Lee University and getting ready for that. And so it was early in the morning. It was like 6 o'clock. I was drinking a cup of coffee. And then, um, this is in Cleveland, Tennessee, and and I heard Patty come down the hallway, and she's walking down the hallway, and I look at her, 620, she's crying. And I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, did you roll out of bed and fall on the floor? I mean, what, I'm trying to figure out, why are you crying at 620 in the morning? And she came in, she said, Sarah's in labor. And so here Sarah is in labor because she's a, uh, from my genes, she wants to be early. She's not supposed to be in labor until noon tomorrow. Okay, 12, that was the deal. And so uh, we found out that, uh, that she was in labor. So we got in the car and we headed to a university hospital. And we got there at 1118. But the problem was Shep, uh, Charles, Shepherd Charles Landrum was born at 1052. So we were 30 minutes late. All right, here, here's what he looks like. This is, this is the crew. Um, and that's, uh, that's Shepherd there, in case you didn't put all the story together. Um, this is Forrest over here telling this story. Now, he's two and a half, okay? And so this is a lot to take in. 
when you have all the babies and all that, and so several times on Friday, uh, he would look at Drew and said, are you still my daddy? Are you still my daddy? And so he just couldn't get under. And so that was really touching there. But anyway, it was a great day. Um, uh, then Saturday, this is what he looked like because he changes a lot overnight, you know. And so this is a little shepherd there. And so, uh, it, of course, it's been a great weekend, but we were late for the appointment. And speaking about that, let's go back to the Bible. The nation of Israel was preparing for battle. And the important part of preparing for battle is to have the blessings of the Lord on your endeavors. And so Samuel was the spiritual leader, and he had the responsibility of preparing the, uh, the army spiritually. But he was late. And when Samuel did not show up on time, King Saul got anxious about this battle. And instead of waiting on Samuel to come and to bring blessings for the army, Saul took matters into his own hands and he offered sacrifices unto the Lord without Samuel's involvement in the process. In essence, King Saul was saying, I don't need Samuel, I don't need any of you. I can do this by myself. And that type of attitude opened the door for trouble. Saul was prideful and arrogant in this moment. In other words, he edged God out of the process. Edged God out. E-G-O. Edged God out. When we allow our ego to to direct our lives and our decisions, and we edge God out of the process, we're opening the door for problems. When we lose focus on God, you're headed for trouble. When you lose focus on God, you are headed toward trouble. So that's the point there. We've got to stay focused. God has a plan. God has a... uh, uh, God is working behind the scenes to accomplish His will in your life, in my life. And we need to surrender and submit our decisions to Him. And oftentimes, we get in a hurry and we get anxious like King Saul and we get ahead of God. Or we take matters in, we edge God out. When we edge God out of our lives, we open the door for trouble. The the Bible tells us that pride comes just before a fall. And so if we get cocky at halftime and edge God out, there's a good uh, chance that you're going to lose the game in the second half. That's what happened to King Saul. He edged God out. He went ahead into the battle. But the battles did not turn out like he thought. Because he went in without God's anointing. He went in without God's favor. And he lost the battle. But not only did he lose the battle, three of his sons were killed in that battle. And that tells us that oftentimes we make decisions and we edge God out and we press on, but not realizing that our decisions will affect the people around us. Because you see, the decisions that you make today will determine the stories that you will tell in the future. And so Saul lost three of his sons, and he was so distraught about losing his sons in this battle that he looked to his armor bearer and said, here, I want you to kill me because I want to die with them. 
Norman Bruce said, no way, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be known as the guy who killed the king. And so Saul grabbed his own sword and he fell on his sword and he committed suicide. And so what we see here is that we see this, this story that had a strong beginning. It got to halftime where he edged God out of his life. When he edged God out, he opened the door for trouble to come. And he had a tragic ending. Now, I said that I was going to tell you about two stories. Both of the individuals were named Saul. That was the story of Saul in the Old Testament. Now, Saul in the New Testament, his story is told in the book of Acts. Now, this Saul was a man that was filled with hatred and filled with anger and bitterness. This Saul was a man that didn't have a good beginning, but he allowed his hatred and anger to, um, to come against Christians. And he became a great persecutor of Christians, and he sought to eradicate Christianity in any way possible. So much so that people were afraid of him. They were scared of this man named Saul. He was like a man filled with terror, like a terrorist. We would look at somebody like an Osama bin Laden or or Saddam Hussein or someone like that and would say, that's what kind of person this guy Saul was, Saul of Tarsus. He made it his goal to arrest Christians and, and put them on public trial and execute them. He was standing at the martyr of the first, um, of Stephen. He was the first Christian martyr. And after Stephen was martyred, Saul went door to door in Jerusalem looking to harm believers. We see this in, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. It says, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house. Can you imagine that? House to house. Can you imagine you are sitting at the table with your spouse and your kids, okay? You're having dinner at the table. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, but they don't even wait for you to go open the door. But in bursts a group of people led by Saul, and he takes the men and the women, and he drags them out, and he throws them in prison. Can you imagine what those kids must have felt like when they saw their mother and their dad dragged out of their house and thrown in prison? That was this guy. And he was doing that all throughout Jerusalem. And then he set his uh, sights on the city of Damascus. So he jumped on a horse and he headed to to Damascus to try to arrest and persecute as many Christians as possible. And while he was headed down the road to Damascus, there was a bright light that, that came out of heaven and blinded him and knocked him off of his horse. And there Saul is laying, blinded by the light, on the ground, and it was halftime. And it was halftime. And I would imagine as he's there, cannot see, he's making an assessment of his life, where he's come from, where he's headed. And then he hears this voice. Saul, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he asked this question. Who are you, Lord? 
Who are you? Isn't it interesting that even in this state of hatred and bitterness against the church and and everything Jesus is doing, he recognized the voice of the Lord and he called him, Who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. This was halftime. He had to make a decision. This was a defining moment in his life. Is he going to continue persecuting the church, trying to uh, kill Christians for their faith? Or is he going to surrender to the lordship of Jesus? Is he going to submit to the lordship of Jesus? He couldn't deny of what uh, had, was taking place. He had to make a decision, and he chose to surrender. He chose to submit. I believe there could be people here today, maybe people watching online, who God has showed up in your life in a Damascus Road type of experience. We often use that word to describe uh, a sudden change. Oh, he had a Damascus Road experience. Well, if you ever hear that, that is tied to this section of the Bible. It's an experience that is so radically altering that that your life is redirected, your life is changed as a result of this, this, this experience. So Paul had that Damascus Road experience, and he, he made a change. He, he surrendered, he submitted to God. I believe that God is speaking to some of you. God is prompting you. And here's the point. Your response to God's promptings will determine the direction of your life. Your response to God's promptings will determine the direction of your life. Like I said just a few minutes ago, the decisions I believe that you're making today will determine the stories of your future. And so many times God comes and God prompts us and God speaks to us. And you say, how does he speak to us? Uh, Sometimes he speaks with a door that is closed. Other times he speaks with a door that is opened. Sometimes he may speak through a message that, uh, uh, from the Bible. Or maybe it's a song that you hear. Or maybe it's a conversation that God is working behind the scenes to, to have a conversation with you to get your attention. And at times those things are so uh, shocking and life-altering that they become Damascus Road types of experiences. Well, Paul made, uh, Saul made a decision to surrender and to submit his life to Jesus. And when he did that, his world was radically changed. To the point where Saul had a change from the inside, but also his life was changed to the point that he changed his name from Saul to Paul. This is a picture of the Apostle Paul by an artist's rendition. And this man right here had such a radical change that he became one of the greatest leaders of all history. He changed from being a terrorist to being a teacher, being someone that would persecute the church to one that would preach the gospel. He started churches all over the Middle East. And we see his name um, in so many Christian efforts through uh, through the generations. That halftime experience changed his life and really changed the world. When you think about it, that man, the Apostle Paul, wrote a lot of letters to encourage people. 
And those letters, and many of them were written to churches, became books in the Bible. 20% of the New Testament were letters written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote on all kinds of uh, subject matter. It's interesting, he talked about relationships. He wrote these words, love is patient and love is kind and it does not envy and it does not boast and it is not proud. Love always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres because love never fails. Paul wrote those words. This man who had just this bitterness and this hatred in his heart, now being changed from the inside out, being transformed, now he is speaking about love. It was a radical change. He spoke about love, but he spoke about a lot of things. He, was, he had this determination inside of him. In fact, a lot of his words do inspire determination. They inspire grit. Maybe you've seen this, uh, this verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ. Those words were written by the Apostle Paul. We often see those uh, on the eye black of uh, athletes. You'll see like Philippians 4.13. Years ago, Tim Tebow made that popular. And now it's really become even a business. You can just buy eye black with scripture verses on it. In case you want to do that tomorrow when you go to work. But those words are so powerful, I can do all things through Christ. And Paul reminds me that, that God will take care of me. And he says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Or maybe you've heard this phrase, oh, everything happens for a reason. We hear that a lot in the culture. A lot of people say, oh yeah, didn't the Bible say everything happens for a reason? Well, it doesn't say that. But here's what it does say. And here's where that, that cultural phrase comes from. It comes from a verse that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. When it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good. That in all things, that God takes those things and he turns it around and brings something good. It could be a pain. It could be a problem. It could be a difficulty. But God works behind the scenes to bring something good. So we look at your life. Could it be there's something right now that you're struggling with, with, that you're wrestling with, and God is behind the scenes taking this thing that you feel like is the worst thing in your life, and maybe it is the worst thing in your life. It may be. This may be the worst thing. When you look back over your life one day, this may be the worst season of your life. But I think you'll also see God working behind the scenes to bring something good out of it. He does that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Or maybe you're, today, you're here today and you hear all this and you wonder, okay, that works for a lot of other people, but will that work for me? Yes, it will. Paul wrote these words, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the, the new has come. That we can become new. 
Here's the point. You can't transform yourself, but you can allow God to transform you. You can't transform yourself, but you can allow God to transform you. God wants to change you. So far, we've talked about two different people. Both of them named Saul. Both of them approached halftime. And they had an opportunity to look about where they've come from, the good, the bad, and then to look at where they're going. One of them made a bad decision and edged God out of his life, the Saul of the Old Testament, King Saul. But the Saul of the New Testament who came in to this halftime experience, and a man filled with hatred and bitterness and anger and murder, yet surrendered his life to Jesus, and his life was changed. To the point where he was forgiven, to the point where he became a force for good, to the point where that, that, that many of us read his words today when we want to be encouraged. So the question is this. Let's say that you look at both of these examples Saul of the Old Testament and Saul of the New Testament. And then you look at your life because it's halftime. Which Saul are you? Which Saul are you becoming? Are you the one that, that when God prompts you and God speaks to you, instead of embracing that and submitting that, you're just pushing him out? I can handle this on my own. I can do this. Are you the one that surrenders and submits and said, who are you, Lord? I, I don't understand what's going on. I, I submit, I surrender to you. Now let's talk about this concept of submission or surrender. Submission is simply an invitation for someone to lead. So when you submit to Jesus, you're just saying, Jesus, I need you to be the leader of my life. But when Jesus comes, he wants all of you, not just a part. In fact, Paul wrote these words, give yourself completely to God. Give yourself completely to God since you've been given this new life. And use your whole body, everything that you have, use that as a tool to do what's right with the glory of God. And so what he's seeing, what he's saying in this, we've got to be all in. Here's the point. You cannot serve God in your spare time. A decision to follow Jesus is all or nothing. You've got to be all in. You can't just do it. There's so many people that attempt to live a Christian life by putting one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It doesn't work that way. He's calling us to be all in. And so it's halftime. What are we going to do? God wants a relationship with you. And so you have this opportunity to say, Jesus, come. Come, live inside of me. Come be the leader and the Lord of my life. 
Will you consider that today? It's halftime. Think about where you've come from. Think about where you're headed because you see the decisions that you make today will determine the stories that you tell in the future. It's halftime and God is here to rewrite your story and to give you hope that the rest of your life can be better than it is right now. Let's bow our heads for a time of reflection, a time of prayer. Which Saul are you? Are you the one that's pushing God out? Are you the one that is inviting God in? Today, hear me. Invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. How many, how many of you would be courageous enough and bold enough today to say, Marty, you're talking to me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want you to raise your hands very quickly. Across this room, yes. Yes. All across this room. Still others, yes. You can put them down now. God has a plan for your life. You're not here by accident, but he's calling you. So I just want you to receive what he has. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for this um, congregation. I thank you for the courage of the people in this room. And there are people here that have never made a decision to follow Jesus, but today is the day. And so as they pray this prayer, I ask that you would move in their lives and that you would save them. Here, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Say that. And forgive me of my sins. I want you to pray this. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you would have me to be. I give you my life. I give you my past. I give you my future. Take me and fill me with your presence. I receive Jesus. I receive you as my Savior in Christ's name. And Father, as they pray that prayer, I ask that you change their lives. I not only pray for them, I pray for the people in this room that... Uh, Lord, they're just longing for direction. They're longing for hope. Father, they're longing for um, insight and wisdom. So come and move upon us today. Father, there are families in this room that are just struggling just to try to make sense out of their situation. And so we ask that you would come and to bring peace and to bring comfort God, I ask that you would open the doors that we had to walk through and close the doors that we're to stay away from. Come and move in this place and specifically move in our hearts. We thank you for this. We pray this very sincerely in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. To those that prayed that prayer, I want to say welcome to the family of God. Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand together. Once again, thank you so much for being here today. And next Sunday, uh, Dave Willis will be speaking in all three of our services. It's going to be like a homecoming for Pastor Dave, so come and make sure to invite a friend. Um, You will really enjoy it. Be blessed. Have a great week. 
Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.